right. So uh, I've been reading through Samuel, First and Second Samuel, and uh, this passage out of Second Samuel six. I was actually planning to do something different with it, and then as I started writing my sermon, the Lord said, "Leadership one hundred and one." This is, is uh, what this passage is about. I'm sure it's got other applications. But uh, so this, here you go, Leadership 101. Lessons from King David. So we're going to, if you have your Bible, just turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 12 through 23. We're going to read that passage together, starting in verse 12. Now it was told King David, saying, well, back up, a little context. David had tried to move the ark to Jerusalem, and he tied the ark to an ox cart and had a couple guys named Ahio and Uzzah stand by it. And uh, the ark of the Lord was about to tip over. Uzzah reached out to touch it, and uh, because of irreverence, he was struck dead. And it, and it grieved David greatly. And he was, it said he was afraid to bring up the ark. So what they did was they left it at Obed-Edom's house, who was a guy that happened to live in the area. <laughs> and Obed, I mean, Obed-Edom was at the right place at the right time because they stored the ark at Obed-Edom's house and it said he just started prospering. Like everything was just turning out great for Obed-Edom, you know. And so David heard about that. He's like, the ark needs to be in Jerusalem. Obed-Edom can't have that all to himself. You know, so anyways, that's kind of where we pick up in verse 12. It says, now it's cold. it was told King David saying, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him on account of the ark of God. David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And so it was that when the bearers of the ark of the Lord had gone six paces he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. Now, the second time he brought up the ark, he did it according to the Levitical law and had the Levites bring it up the way that God had prescribed for them to bring the ark up. And it says in 1 Chronicles 16 that the reason Uzzah was struck dead was because they didn't get counsel from the Lord on how to bring it up. So that's why it's important to ask God, you know, about important decisions in your life, but, you know, just everything. You know, you just talk with the Lord, but it says this, they had a good idea. It wasn't a God idea, and it backfired. It was a good idea to bring up the ark of the Lord to Jerusalem. God didn't have a problem with that, and he didn't have a problem with David's heart. What he did have a problem was that they did it their own way, and so he, God has a way. He wants this. I remember the Lord told me years ago, he said, Travis, you will jump when I tell you to jump, but you don't ask me how high. And so it's God enjoys the fellowship. Sometimes he, he asks you something to just make you ask more questions, or he tells you something to make you ask more questions. And so uh, they were bringing it in with the Levites the way they were supposed to. So it was that when the bearers of the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. And David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. 
And David was wearing a linen ephod. Now, some people thought he was butt naked right here. He wasn't, obviously. This is the Levitical uh, garment. So he's dressed like a priest. All right. So David and all the house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with the shouting and the sound of the trumpet. Then it happened as the ark of the Lord came to the city of David that Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. So they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent, which David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. When David had finished offering the burnt offering and peace offering, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Further, he distributed to all the people and to all the multitude of Israel. All right, I'm going to stop right there. Verse 18 it says, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. He blessed them in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the angel armies. So why do you think God, or excuse me, David used a warfare name of God in that moment, dancing before the Lord, the presence of God, bringing it up to Jerusalem? It's because worship is warfare. Like there's no, the story of Jehoshaphat, they, they're surrounded by enemies far greater than them. God told them, I won't give you the victory. And Jehoshaphat said, send out the singers and the musicians out in front of the army. And it said that it sent confusion into the enemy's camp and the enemy ended up turning on themselves and destroying themselves. And the, the context where it says, give thanks to the Lord for, for he is good and his love is everlasting. That was what they went out before the army singing in that battle. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his love is everlasting. And that was just releasing angels in heaven on the enemy. That spirit of giving thanks and rejoicing and praising. And so that's why David, I believe, here he is rejoicing, praising, giving thanks. And he blessed them in the name of the Lord of hosts. Isaiah 42, 13, it says, the Lord is a warrior. He will arouse his zeal like a man of war. He will utter a shout and he will raise a war cry and he will look in triumph over all his enemies. Before that verse, it's talking about worship. All right. So verse 19 says, further, he distributed all the people to all the multitude of Israel, both to men and women, a cake of bread and one of dates and one of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed to each, each to his house. The Chronicles account in 1 Chronicles 16 says that he gave him bread, meat, and raisin cake. But when David returned to bless his household, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel distinguished himself today. This is the dramatized version. He uncovered himself today in the eyes of his servants' maids as one of the foolish ones shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will be more lightly esteemed than this and will be humble in my own eyes. But with the maids of whom you have spoken, with them I will be distinguished. Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. We'll stop there. 
So these are some of the things that he was doing that we just read. Dance with all his might, the linen ephod, the shouting, the sound of the trumpet, burnt offerings, peace offerings. He blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. He distributed the bread, meat, and raisin cakes to the people. So some of the lessons that we can gather from this passage on leadership, because David, King David, has the honor of Jesus, one of Jesus' names being called the, the son of David. And there's a reason that David, because of the way David lived his life, he was anointed as king. And even he told Michael, he said, he said, I didn't, this wasn't my plan. I didn't try to become king. The Lord chose me. I'm just being who I am. I'm just, I'm David. And like the Lord knew me as David before I was King David. And see, his relationship with the Lord goes back to as a, a teenager in, in the woods, in the fields, shepherding. And the Lord cared about him then before he even had a title, before he even had a name in the nation, where he was the least among his brothers. And David knew that. He's like, David, uh, David knew that God's been caring for me long before I became king. He knew my name long before that. And so David, his number one value was that he coveted the presence of God. He was jealous for that ark. He heard of the report. He's like, that needs to be in the capital. That needs to be near my house. <laughs> and then everybody can come and worship the Lord. But he coveted the presence of God. And the Lord spoke to me this, this morning and just, or uh, this past week and said, there is provision in the presence. When you seek the Lord, when, you, when your first priority is just to walk with him, to acknowledge him, to worship him, to give thanks, all of these things that, that steward the presence of God, provision will be released to you. Provision of all kinds. You need joy. Do You need peace. You need Finances, whatever it may look like, there is provision in the presence. So you, you, you seek the Lord and he rewards you. He's a seeker of those who, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And I feel like the bread, the meat, and the raisin cakes are metaphors for uh, different things. I feel like the bread represents there's perseverance that God gives when you seek his face. He gives you the strength to stand. So many times in the Bible it says, stand, stand, stand. Ephesians 6, it says, when you've done all you can, stand. And God calls us to stand on his word, to stand upon the rock, that he makes my feet like hinds feet to climb the high places. And so you navigate those tricky spots because you're on the rock. But he calls you to stand. He is the God of the breakthrough. You just wait. You, that's part of what it is to wait on the Lord is standing and believing. I believe that the meat of God's presence gives us strength and power. Ephesians 3 says, I pray that you would be strengthened in your inner man through his spirit that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend together with all the saints what is the height, breadth, depth, width, to know the love of Christ 
which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. And so he, his, just being in his presence gives you strength and power. And then raisin cakes are for pleasure. It says, in his presence are pleasures forevermore. There is joy at his right hand. God doesn't mind having a good time. And it's, you know, one of the best pieces of advice I've heard about parenting is if you're going to hold your kids to a high standard, you better have fun with them. Because if it's high standards all the time, like putting their toe to the line all the time, all the time, all the time, and there's no fun, there's no pleasure, that's, a, that's like a heavy yoke. But they, they need to, it's, you better have fun if you're going to hold your kids to a high standard, which as Christians, I believe, we're all called to that, to raise our children, a different value system, a different kingdom. So it's high, it seems high to the world, like a high standard to the world. It's just the values of a different world and a different kingdom. So stewarding God's presence, in 1 Chronicles 16, David sings a psalm. And he, one of the ways that, that you steward is you sing praises to him. You meditate or you speak of all his wonders. Meditation, biblical meditation, is not the Eastern religion way of emptying your mind. It is speaking forth the word of God. So if you have, a, if you have trouble stilling your mind, like probably 99% of us in here, do something with your mouth and speak forth the word of God. And that's what will transform your mind. And so that's, that's really what the word meditation means because just like God spoke over the void and created creation by his words, your words have power. The wind goes over your vocal cords and it creates. And it says that God's voice and the wind is the same word. It's ruach in the Old Testament. And when Ezekiel 37, he said, Ezekiel, prophesy over these dead bones that they may live. He's, he's basically saying, breathe and speak over these bones. The, another thing we do is we glory, we boast in his holy name. How many of y'all bragged on the Lord lately? Just brag on him. Like, my God is good, man. Let me tell you something. He is good. Seek the Lord and his strength. David, all of his mighty men were about to turn on him because they left Ziklag where they were staying at. And the Amorites and another foreign nation came, took their wives and their children and all their the spoil. They came back after going to battle. Ziklag completely wiped out and their families were taken. That, that'll make you mad. You ready, you ready to kill somebody? I mean, I would be. I'm like, who's got my family? And so all the men were like, this is your fault. We left Ziklag because you wanted to go help uh, the Philistines at this time. And David, I mean, he's got all of his best friends have just turned against him. And it says that David strengthened himself in the Lord. And so what he says, like, guys, we're getting our families back. They went to the Amorites. The Lord routed them. 
They got all their family back, and they got their, their spoil back, and they got the Amorite spoil. And then the people that stayed back who didn't want to fight, who were bitter, and like, we're not going to help you, David came back with the spoil and gave it to them, those who did not even want to fight. And because that was the heart of David. And, the, and his, his mighty men were saying, this isn't fair. I mean, we, aren't, we fought. And these people, they stayed back afraid, bitter, and fearful. And, God's like, and David said, no, this is family. They get their share of the spoil. That's powerful. You seek his face continually. You remember his wonderful deeds. It's just like Jessica was talking about this morning. There's, we've had a lot of miracles happen in the awakening. You know, five years ago, the awakening wasn't even here in, in Athens. It was just a, a dream in our hearts and in a community of believers' hearts. And five years, it seems like 20 years of stuff has happened. You know, you just remember what he's done for you. You lift up sounds of joy. There's nothing wrong with a hoo I was very Al Pacino-ish. I didn't, that was good. Hoo-yah! All right, here we go. You do a whoop. Whoop. Somebody give me one of those. Whoop. One more time. Whoop. There we go. Loosen those corsets. Here we go. The second thing is you get up and try again. Of lead- this is the second important thing about leadership. <laughs> get up and try again. When David first tried to bring the ark to Jerusalem, it was an epic failure. A man died. John Sanford, who founded Elijah House and was a pioneer of prophetic ministry in like the 50s, 60s, and 70s, he said when he was a budding prophet, he was working in Idaho, or he was pastoring a church in Idaho, and there was coal mines in his community. And he was playing basketball with one of the members of his congregation. And he said, while he's playing basketball, the Lord said, pray right now. There's about to be an accident in the coal mine. And he was like, ah, that's not, that's, that's just me. You know, he just, he just thought he was making it up. He gets, so he gets in his car to leave and the Lord's like, pray. There's about to be an accident in the coal mine. And he's just like, ah, that's still me. He gets back to his house. They get a telephone call. There was an accident in the coal mine. Nine people died. And he said six of them were getting ready to go to seminary. And he said for a week, he was on his face before God, repenting, wailing, and sorrow. And the Lord on the seventh day spoke to him and said, John, he said, yes, Lord. And the Lord responded back and said, you're not that important. Get up. And what the Lord meant by that was like, I'm bigger than you. (laughs) I'm bigger than you. Like, your failures aren't going to stop what I have planned. And you get to just get up and try again. 
There was no condemnation. They said that John said just the weight lifted off of him because he realized that he's just a man and God is God and he will do all that he pleases and that he has worked everything out in his wisdom for the good. So David, the first attempt was an epic failure, but this did not stop David from transporting the ark of God back to Jerusalem. He's like, I've got to get it back. Oh, God told us how to get back. Yeah, let's do that. And so they did that. David's heart intent was not in question. What he had to do was he had to learn wisdom, which is listening to the Lord. Because remember what I said the first time, I said they didn't ask the Lord for counsel on bringing the ark back up. Wisdom is listening to the one who has wisdom. That's what wisdom is. Third thing, don't be afraid to look foolish. David danced with all his might wearing a linen ephod. Okay, he, he's like, I'm going to dress up like a priest because I feel like one. And I have that kind of relationship with God. And I've been doing what the priests do all my life. <laughs> he said, so I'm, I know I'm a priest. So what would that have looked like for David to dance with all of his might? Imagine it says leaping and dancing before the ark of the Lord. Just take a moment to imagine. I mean, he is, I mean, this would be foolish looking. And you're like, I mean, I don't know what the music sounded like. I don't, you know, but he is with that utter abandon and without care. He's only got one person that he, he wants to, to please, and that is the Lord. And so because of the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than man, the Lord can do more and release more through David's foolish dancing than any kind of anointed prayer or anything like that. It's, it's what is God asking you to do? That's the, that's the key. And uh, you know, I've told you of my, my buddy, I've told this story before, but my buddy Joel Goddard, he was in a conservative traditional church during a worship service, and the Lord said, get out in the aisle. They had pews, you know, and they had the aisle right down the middle, and he said, get out in the aisle and do push-ups. And he was like, no, that's all right. And the Lord just kept nagging him. He said, get in the aisle and do push-ups. And so he eventually gave in, got on his face. He said he, act, he was going to act like he was kowtowing and just worshiping the Lord. And then he brought his hands into push-up position. And then he did one push-up. And he did another. And this guy from across the aisle, I mean, you know, this is, like I said, just your traditional church. And this guy across the aisle started counting them off. He went, one, two, three. And everybody in the church went, Phew. Looked right at Joel. He pumped out a set of 15 or so, you know, then got back in the pew and was just like, thanks, Lord. Thanks a lot. <laughs> and so they gave, they had the sermon, gave the altar call. This guy walked the aisle and they're like, brother, give a testimony how the Lord saved you. And he got up there. He says, you know, my wife's been nagging me for 30 years to come to church. And I told her, I said, if I come to church tonight, will you never say another word about coming to church? 
And she said, I'll leave you alone. And so he came to church and he sat on the back row, arms folded, I dare you to bless me. That's the I dare you to bless me pose. And uh, he said, he told God, he said, God, the only way I will follow you if somebody gets in the aisle and does push-ups. So, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Just obey the Lord. You don't have a reputation to uphold. You gave that up when you accepted Jesus. Okay? Don't be swayed by the fear of man, the praise or rejection of man. And so this is the, you know, where Michael is like, oh, look, you distinguish yourself today. Way to go. You really look like a fool, David. And David just, he's like, listen, I don't really care what you say. Like, Lord told me, this is the Lord. He, I didn't choose myself. I didn't try to make myself king. I got chosen. And so this is, and I've, I love the Lord, so that's not going to stop. In Proverbs 29, 25, it says, The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. And so that snare is, is just that picture of it's a trap. It's not, it looks like freedom, it looks like comfort and affirmation, but it's a trap. It holds you back from everything that God's called you to do. Number five is don't become jealous or bitter like Michael. Michael's jealousy and bitterness over David's relationship with God left her barren or unfruitful. Okay? So I think this is something that happens often in the church is getting jealous over somebody else's relationship with God. And there's usually like two responses that you can have. One that people take is they start to discredit that person or say, you know, God doesn't do that. Or they say that person's religious. They take, they're like, man, they're just like real religious about their relationship with God. Man, they, they get up every morning to like at four o'clock to, to pray for two hours. That's kind of religious. No, it's, it's not the form that's religious. It's the heart. And... You know, David, I mean, Michael, this, is the, this was the lie that she was believing. She thought that the maidens had found more favor with David when she, in reality she was the bride. And so that's true for us is that sometimes we think, man, they, they find more favor with God and you're actually the bride. You're actually the one who has like the most favorable, posi favorable position with the groom. I told you all my kids can ask me for things. And I'm a lot better at telling them no than when my wife asks for things. I tell her no like 99 or like 1% of the time. I'm usually, it's usually an automatic yes because she's my bride. She's got that position. Michael didn't even, she had that position with David, but she didn't even realize it. She thought these, these people that she didn't know had more favor with David than she did. But that's so many times we treat the Lord like that. It's like, man, they get anything they want. Look how great their life is. And we're just poo-pooing. 
on ourselves. I mean, we're just sitting in it. I'm serious, guys. Jessica, she used to have to wipe fannies for a living at the respite home. And this one guy, nobody had changed him. What was that? Tell that story about Richard. So I, um, the night shift had worked, and I got there that morning, and um, he had cerebral palsy, so he wasn't able to, you know, he had to be changed, and he was an adult. And so um, I said, it smells awful in here. And the night worker said, Richard won't let me change him. And um, so I told Richard, I was changing him. I said, listen, Richard, if you don't let them help you, then you are just going to have to sit in your crap, like literally your poop. Like you're going to have to sit in it. It was like the world stopped. And the Holy Spirit was like, yeah, Jessica, if you don't let people help you, then you're going to get to sit in your crap. And I was like, okay. (laughs) Okay, because I like to, you know, I like to do it all by myself. But I also, you know, had that thing like Richard wanted me to change him. You know, so he, like, I had some rules for how God could help me, you know, like it was certain ways. And if he didn't do it that way, then he was like, that's totally fine. You just get used to this feeling because you're going to be sitting here, you know, unless you let me help you according to my plan. You know, there's, anyway, so that's my revelation through changing adult diapers. James. Uh, Chapter 3, this is the most sobering passage on jealousy in the Bible to me. It says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. It's demonic. Jealousy and bitterness are demonic. You want to like open the door to the demonic and have a block party with demons. Stay jealous and bitter. That's the truth with my hand up. That's a way to just have a, to open the door to the demonic because that's, the devil can only give away what he has and he is full of jealousy. He is full of bitterness because he knows his end. Number six is be humble in your own eyes. David said, I'll be more likely esteemed than this and will be humble in my own eyes. But with the maids of whom you have spoken with them, I will be distinguished. Um, I think Chris Valentin, he's got some quote that says, you know, humility is not thinking of less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. That's what humility is. It's not like you think you're a worm, it's just you, you're just thinking of others, you know, before yourself. Proverbs 27 2 says, Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. So being humble in your own eyes will actually enable you to lead people with a servant's heart instead of being, quote, the boss. Lording it over people, which is what Peter talks about 
in First Peter uh, chapter five, verses two through three. So when you when you have a humble heart, you can. It doesn't mean that you're without authority or power. It just means that you're looking on how to to bless people. You're looking at how to be generous and how to give and how to see the people around you prosper. You know, I remember one quote uh, from Bill Johnson. He says, I, didn't, I don't try to build a great church. I try to build great people. And that's the idea behind serving and behind even like being fathers and mothers in the faith is that fathers are trying to promote their sons and their daughters. And it's the son's job, and the sons out of that glorify the fathers. That's what Jesus did. He said, I've glorified your name, Father. And, and the Father promoted Jesus on the earth as the name above all names. And so fathers promote, sons glorify. So we get to play both of those roles. We get to glorify our Father, but we also get to be fathers and mothers that promote people. How can I get this? How can I get under this person and build them up? How can I be a launching pad for them. We, talk, we say at the awakening, you know, we, we want the awakening to be like a trampoline for you, where you come in and you just explode into what God has for you, your purpose, your destiny and calling and, and that kind of thing, where it's, you just basically get launched off of there. And then there's Rehoboam who was the opposite of David. He didn't listen to the wise counsel of his elders. Rehoboam was the, was the son of Solomon. And the, and the kingdom had gotten split up into two because of Solomon's uh, basically idolatry. He had started worshiping the idols of his wives. And so the kingdom was split up. Israel was the northern kingdom. Judah was the southern kingdom. Rehoboam was the king of the southern kingdom at, at this time. And they said, he said, how should I rule this people? And all the wise older men said, listen, your dad, he was building things all the time. And he had a heavy hand. Everybody had to work their butts off. So ease it off the people. And, and uh, Rehoboam was like, okay, what are all my best friends who've been hanging out with me and we've been playing video games together? What do we, what do you guys say? They're like, you rule with a heavy hand, and they will say of you that your, your pink, pinky finger will be like your dad's groin. That's how heavy your hand will be, that you increase the heaviness on the people. So you don't want to have that be like Rehoboam and not listen to the elders and the fathers and the mothers in your life because guess what? They've lived longer than you. If that was just one one thing. <laughs> They've lived longer. <laughs> They've got more experience. And not to have those that, you know, always listen to the ones that tickle your ears. It says, under three things, the earthquakes and under four, it cannot bear up. Under a slave, when he becomes king. And a fool, when he is satisfied with food. Under an unloved woman, when she gets a husband. And a maidservant, when she supplants her mistress. So this is what this was the difference between Saul and David as kings. The people asked for a king. God said, you want a king? I don't like the idea, but I'll give you a king. And this is what he's going to do. And it says he's going to oppress. He's going to take your, the best of your fields, the best of your flock. He's going to take your family and make them servants. That's what kings do. But you want one? Here you go. Saul 
operated. This is, he was basically a slave operating as a king. David, when he got anointed, so he got anointed king, Saul did, and placed pretty immediately into the position of kingship. David got anointed king and spit, spent 15 to 17 years in the wilderness being refined by God, learning how to be a king while not being a king. That's the difference. And so God, if you feel like you're in that wilderness place where it's just like, man, am I constantly messing up? Or am I constantly like, I'm confronted with my issues at every side? Well, guess what? God's training you for reigning. He's training you, he's teaching you how to be a son so that when you become a king, you don't live, you don't think like a slave. Because slaves are, they only know one thing and that's a heavy hand. So to lead well, you must know you're a son and sons lead from that place of rest and trust. And then passion leads people. That's the seventh thing. Passion will make you courageous and people follow courage. In Braveheart, it says, men don't follow, follow titles, they follow courage. So I'm going to play a clip from Braveheart. I think it's got, yeah, guys give each other high fives. Um, I think it's got one or two cuss words in it, but it's not like y'all don't hear that every day or anything. You can just. Sir William! Sir William, inasmuch as you and your captains hail from a region long known to support the Balliol clan, may we invite you to continue your support and uphold our rightful claim. Damn the Balliol clan! Is the time to declare a king. No, hold, wait! Then you're prepared to recognize our legitimate succession. Andrew. You're the ones who won't support the rightful king. Those were lies when you first spoke them. Oh, no, that's true. I demand recognition of these documents. These documents were lies when you wrote them. Because you won't stand together. Well, what will you do? I will invade England and defeat the English on their own ground. Uh, <laughs> invade? That's impossible. Why? Why is that impossible? You're so concerned with squabbling for the scraps from Longshank's table that you've missed your God-given right to something better. There's a difference between us. You think the people of this country exist to provide you with position. I think your position exists to provide those people with freedom. And I go to make sure that they have it. Wait! I respect what you said, but remember that these men have lands and castles. It's much to risk. And the common man that bleeds on the battlefield, does he risk less? 
But from top to bottom, this country has got no sense of itself. Its uh, nobles share allegiance with England. Its clans war with each other. Right? Right? If you make enemies on both sides of the border, you'll end up dead. We all end up dead. It's just a question of how, uh, why. I'm not a coward. I want what you want. But we need the nobles. We need them. Aye. Nobles. <laughs> now tell me, what does that mean, to be noble? Your title gives you claim to the throne of our country. But men don't follow titles. They follow courage. Now our people know you. Noble and common, they respect you. And if you would just lead them to freedom, they'd follow you. And so would I. So William Wallace ends it with a prophetic word into his life. It calls it out. It's just, you know, we, any position given is meant to serve the people and to bring. I believe every person in this room is a leader in some capacity or another. Even at the, the, the most simple form of leadership is showing people the Father. And everybody has, those who, who have Jesus, who know him, who have the Holy Spirit, have that ability to show people the Father and lead them to the Father's house, to lead them to the Father's arms. And so as leadership isn't necessarily based upon your position, your title, whatever you're doing. It's based upon on the inside who you are, who God called you to be, who he's created you to be and what he's put inside of you. He has put the leader of the nations inside of you. And so, Father, we just thank you for your leadership. And Lord, I pray that each and every one of us in our unique, beautiful, special ways will show people the Father. Father, I just call for every single person to come into alignment with where you've placed them in the body of Christ. Just like Ephesians 4 just talks about every joint and every ligament and every muscle and every bone put in place in the body of Christ, operating fully and without hindrance. Lord, that we, that we give honor to the less uh, honorable parts, Father, the, one, the, the people that are hidden. The people that are hidden, Father, Lord, may they receive even more honor. And Lord, just pray blessings upon everyone, that there would be a clarity of the things that God has put into their hearts. Father, that you would make a way for them to step into that. Father, for them to see uh, that, that you're good and all your ways are good. And Lord, I pray that our vision every year wouldn't necessarily be goals and, and dreams and that kind of thing, which are good, Father, but that the first thing would be, how can I fall in love with Jesus more? That that would be our vision. That would be the one thing, Father. The simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. And out of that, everything flows. That's the river. That's the river. So, Lord, we just bless, bless these people. Father, I bless them in the name of the Lord of hosts. You are the God of the breakthrough. You are the, the defender. 
just thank you for that.